Thank you all for coming tonight. We're going to start just a little bit of programming, uh, and we'll carry on uh, after just a little while where you can mingle some more, listen to some more music, buy some more artwork, etc. But please grab a seat if you need one. Um, otherwise, uh, mill about. If you did not get a copy of the magazine, uh, it'd be helpful uh, for this portion of the evening. If we haven't met yet, my name is Matt Schneider. I'm one of the ministers here at the Cathedral Church of the Advent. On behalf of the Advent, uh, for those of you who've never been here before, a very warm welcome, uh, especially if it is your first time, but a warm welcome to everyone. Can you all hear me? No? Better now? Okay. Um, before we get started, I want to give a couple of people... <laughs> An opportunity to introduce themselves. Is Jonathan here from Alabama Biscuits in the room? Or is he somewhere else? Why don't you bring him out? Uh, and Stephen, do you want to, you know, since you were just up here, do you want to introduce yourself? Who are the oxymorons? Just say a little bit about you. Why don't you come to this mic real quick? This is our uh, a band that's playing the music tonight, the oxymorons. <laughs> We're more or less a Birmingham homegrown band. Uh, half of us are urban refugees living out in Blount County. The uh, harp and mandolin player, I mean uh, ukulele player, Jamie Allen. And then Roger, uh, a symphony violinist, is on fiddle. And uh, Joe Casey on lead guitar. And uh, proud to be with you. Thank you so much. Thanks guys for coming out. And after we talk a little bit, they'll continue to play. Um, and one thing is, this is a part of a larger series we do here at the Advent called the Arts and Culture Series. Uh, if you'd like to know more about upcoming events, uh, we have a contact sheet that, Brandon, can you start passing around that'll come around if you want to put your info and uh, we'll put you on that list and uh, you'll learn more about our upcoming events. Um, let me uh, just introduce the, the, the concept of the magazine, though. I've been on staff here at the Advent uh, for a little more than a year, and one of my first directives was to, uh, to help create a magazine uh, for the church. And uh, the approach that I thought would be fun to take is, rather than doing just an info piece about the church, is to show the church. Uh, through demonstrating what we do, uh, by telling stories, uh, through artwork, uh, and also the role that we play here in Birmingham. So that's why it has this sort of arts and literary journal kind of feel. Um, and I think it'd be helpful if you turn to page seven, um, and I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, I'm just going to read a little bit of what I wrote in my opener uh, letter from the editor. So when I moved to Birmingham about a year ago, one neighborhood that immediately caught my attention was Five Points South. At the heart of this eclectic district where three busy streets converges, the landmark Fountain the Storyteller, created by local artist Frank Fleming, and captured in the photograph on the facing page by Eric Forsyth. The central figure in this uh, sculptural fountain is a man with the head of a ram holding up a book and reading to an audience of animals gathered around his feet. Rumor has it that the homeless community that congregates in Five Points calls the ram man Bob. Because of Bob's ram head, he has been misinterpreted for years by some type, to be some type of satanic figure. 
but Fleming himself has denied such cultic associations. While I'm not asserting this sculpture is meant to be Christian per se, the plaque on the fountain includes a reference to the prophet Isaiah's vision of God's eternal kingdom of peace, assuaging any satanic interpretations. The plaque also highlights the importance of storytelling. And so this is a quote from the little brass plaque that's on the fountain there. Storytelling is a deeply rooted southern heritage. The animals are listening to a story intended to convey the idea of a peaceable kingdom. The theme of this first issue of the Advent is storytelling, which has been broadly interpreted by each contributing writer and artist. Not only is storytelling a southern tradition, but the Christian faith and tradition is based upon stories that have been passed down through millennia about how God has been at work through creation, the people of Israel, the church, his son, who typically taught through stories. I'm excited about this first issue of the magazine, which is the product of nearly a year of collaborative labor to explore this one theme. And then just skipping to the very final paragraph at the bottom of that page. I hope you will agree that what you are holding is indeed a piece of art and a readable magazine that just so happens to be published by a church. A church that appreciates creativity for its own sake. A church that wants to see Birmingham continue to thrive. Finally, like Bob the Ram Man, we are a church with a heart for storytelling. Ours is an old story about a great savior who rescues the weary and burdened like you and me, restoring us to his peaceable kingdom. I invite you to gather around and listen. Well, look at you all gathered around. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just, just skimming through this a little bit to tell you about um, some of the things. If you skip to the next page, you'll see that it says contributing creatives. That's a list of all the authors, who, I mean, the artists who contributed artwork uh, in um, this issue. A few of them are here selling their artwork. Uh, so glad that they're here. And then you'll see on page 11 is our featured artist, uh, who is Jill Marler, who did the cover work here on the cover of the magazine. And um, just so you know, the very uh, first print, the one that appears on the cover of the magazine, is here in the back. If you know who he is, Larry Gibson. Uh, over there, his portrait, next to Jill's table. We have the, the painting, uh, the etching, excuse me, on a, an easel, and it's up for silent auction tonight. Uh, and all the proceeds go to the Advent Episcopal Day School, which is our school next door. And some of the students uh, from the school contributed some of the artwork in a couple of these pieces. So that's the, the tie-in uh, with that. But um, I'm not going to talk too much more. I want to bring a couple guests up here. And the first one uh, is Jill, who we're going to talk to her about our artwork. Thanks for coming, Jill. Um, so Jill and I met at the Birmingham Museum of Art. Do you remember that? I do. Uh, she was just like the table over there in the art museum. It was an event. Do you know what the event was? I think it was the um, the members only shopping for the Christmas season. So it was probably okay. was it last November? It was December? like almost a year ago. And she has these. She does these iconic etchings of, uh, of buildings 
around Birmingham and you do some other artwork, but I noticed the buildings, Sloss Furnaces, uh, Independent Presbyterian Church, you have a painting of 16th Street Baptist. Mm -hmm. What are some other ones that you've done? A lot of local landmarks, the favorites, of course, there's Sloss and Five Point South, Vulcan, of course, but then I also pulled in some that don't exist anymore, like Terminal Station, because I have just a little affection for history, whether it's lost or preserved, so. And I said, have you ever done an etching of the Church of Advent? Mm -hmm. And you told me, do you remember? I said it's on my very, very short list, maybe the next one to do after Independence. So it was and Some very people funny. had asked you, is that right? <laughs> some people that I work with that are members here had asked, you know, would I consider doing the Advent? And of course, it was definitely one I wanted to do. And I thought about it for a couple few weeks. I was starting to work on the, the magazine and uh, threw out the crazy idea of, could you do an etching for the cover of this magazine? And so that's how it all unfolded. When I first met her, I said, if you do an etching, I at least will buy it. <laughs> uh, so you have one customer. But um, we've spun it out of control and put it on the cover of a book. Um, but uh, tell us about uh, your etchings in particular, what it's called, and what makes it unique. Okay. So an, an etching I'm sure you've all heard of. Well, this is a particular type of etching called an intaglio aquatint etching. And so my process is, is using metal plate, and copper plate is traditional, but I use zinc, um, which is just a little bit more modern metal to use. And so it's a multiple step process, so I'll get a bare zinc plate in and coat it with a wax, and then I'll have my image ready to go, and I'll start drawing into that wax with the, you'll see the tool back there, it's a very small metal needle tool, start drawing the lines into it. And then I've got an acid bath. And this plate will go into an acid bath anywhere from about 10 to 15 different times. And through multiple steps of covering certain areas up and exposing certain areas, I'm able to get gradation of tone, where you have your whites to your mediums to your grays all the way up a little bit hard to grasp, but I brought in some things in the back just to kind of walk you through it a little bit. But in the end, you have a finished master plate, which is this, and then I ink it, and then it's white, and then it's put onto an etch press with the big wheel, and the paper goes down on top of it, and it goes through that press to emboss into the paper. And so... This, they're each hand printed, so from the master plate, if this is a hundred edition, each one is inked and each one is hand printed through the press, so that makes it an original. Uh, and you also are printing it on things like pillows. I am. The, the pillow, though, is a different process. It's not, you know, obviously running the fabric, but it's, it's a photo heat transfer to the fabric, yes. What is it about this type of etching that... Mm -hmm. draws you uh, to it? Well, I feel like when I, I tend to use the historic images, and of course this church is historic, but so I feel that printmaking for me just satisfies the way I want, you know, my images to, to look, which has that kind of warm feel. It has that old feel. I tend to use inks like the, the sepia or the black to give you that, that feeling of the past. Um, and I also am not very exact, so if you really look at what I'm doing, it's not every line is straight, and, and I don't really nitpick that. I want it to have that looseness, that kind of impressionistic feel. And what was it like doing this particular piece? 
for you, the, the process? Right. Well, when I did independent before, because I, I really just wanted to do it for myself because I teach there, so it wasn't as much pressure. I felt a little bit more pressure about this, but it's a beautiful building, so it was, it was naturally enjoyable for me to do, but I was a little bit <laughs> more worried about, worried about it. Being on the cover of a magazine. Uh, right, right, right. <laughs> well, I, I don't I, I think she succeeded. It's a, it's a very nostalgic uh, depiction of what the church is, is a historic building here uh, in Birmingham. And I'm so glad that your work is on the cover of the very first issue. Any final thoughts about your stuff? I just wanted to just express gratitude to you in particular, but to everyone in the congregation. Just, I'm very honored to be here. And, um, I appreciate it so much. And so you have uh, some things for sale. What do you have back there? So tonight, I mean, I've got about 12 of the, un, the unframed, and they're all original, but those are back there. I've got um, some pillows, and then I've got note cards for $15 of just five of them. So a little variety that you can get tonight. And again, me. the original piece is a little bit different than the rest. Oh, yes. The original piece... My last trip to Italy was in 2010 on the Amalfi Coast, and you can get a lot of handmade paper. So that is the only one in the back, in the brown, that is hand-printed on paper brought back from Amalfi, Italy. So it's, it's a very precious paper. In the different uh, ink tone. In the different ink tone. And I'm planning on doing all these in black, but I, I will allow for you to special order. You can do a brown ink, and the form is in the back if you would prefer the brown. But it won't be on the Amalfi paper, <laughs> but it would be on a nice paper as well. But. And I'll just say a final thought. If you uh, don't pick anything up tonight from her, we'll be selling some of these prints in the bookstore. Mm -hmm. um, and we can find you later this week where... Oh, I'll be at Art Walk, Birmingham Art Walk, and I'm, my uh, space is Urban Standard, so if you come by coffee, I'm sure many of you know. I'll be there Friday night, 5 to 10, and Saturday, 12 to 6. Thank you so much, Dora. You're welcome. Thank All you. Right. We're going to hear from a couple of our contributing artists. Is Gil in the room ready to come up? Or contributing authors, sorry. Gil Cracky, who's here on staff, wrote one of our pieces. Um, and I'll just say, by the way, it's on page 72, if you want to flip to that uh, page, that each week in our staff meeting here at the church, we do these things called uh, Word Made Flesh. It used to be called uh, BLT, Blessed Little Thought. And Jill brought, Jill, Gil, Jill and Gil. First time that's ever happened. It's first, I was just talking to Jill, but... Gil brought in a blessed little thought about you too, the band. And I liked it so much that I asked him to turn it in to this piece on 72. Do you want to say anything by way of introduction or just go ahead and read it? I think that's probably enough of an introduction. Okay. So just read? Go for it. Joey Ramone, Easter and Me. It seems I'm often face to face with the realities like powerlessness, ache, and longing. A longing for connection, for relief, for being known. From there, not too long ago, I was reminded of Isaiah 45. Lots of talk about God leveling exalted places, giving treasures of darkness and hordes and secret places. Even now, I'm not sure I want what he's giving. Throughout the chapter, God seems to pull us close and tease this longing, only to confound and confuse again. In a mastered understatement, Isaiah utters, truly, you are a God who hides himself. 
Even Isaiah was stymied as he tried to make sense of how God makes himself known. The hidden God, unknown unless he makes himself known. By definition, free to remain God, and in, and in his infinitude, to retain a basic incomprehensibility that still leaves powerlessness and ache and longing. As often happens for me, Bono enters as a conversation partner. A full disclaimer, I am aware that it has become decidedly uncool to be a fan of you too. Oh well, I've listened to them, I've listened to them religiously, pun intended, since I was a teenager, near, nearly two-thirds of my life now. Many of their songs have worked their way into my bones. Paradoxically, in a strange way, I'm often grateful to have the songs as a reference point outside of myself. Their canon is practically a liturgy to me. The sweet sound of Amazing Grace connects the long-standing and recurring motif in Bono's lyrics. The sound, song, or melody is the reality that penetrates the noise, the ache, fear, and storm that pervade and permeate so much of our lives. When you hear about the song or melody, it is a giveaway that grace is near. Anything we know of God, we know only because he has made himself known. Truly, you are a God who hides himself. He is also a God who reveals himself, who makes himself known. The sound, song, and melody begin to reverberate and reveal. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at his Father's side. He has made him known, John. The Miracle of Joey Ramone is the first song on U2's latest album. The first time I heard it, even in passing, I thought it might have something to do with Lazarus. In my head, I think I even called it Lazarus' song. Hearing the, chorus, uh, hearing the chorus as if it were Lazarus singing, I woke up the moment when the miracle occurred, heard a song that made some sense out of the world. Everything I ever lost now has been returned in the most beautiful sound I'd ever heard. Hearing a song in the most beautiful sound, Lazarus awoke. The sound of Jesus' voice, Lazarus, come out. The most beautiful sound, as if it were a song awakening from slumber. Not a bad hearing. Later I learned the background to the song. When Bono and the others in the band were starting his teenage punk band, they snuck into a Ramones concert. Bono took hope from hearing Joey Ramone, who famously sounded like a girl behind the mic. Bono needed an ego boost. That's funny if you know anything about him. As he screeched more than he sang. Ostensibly, the song is about the miracle of confidence Bono gained when he felt like he could also be a singer. Don't believe that for a second. Bono was always burying double and triple entendres in his lyrics, especially with a, a, a judicious use of pronouns. One should never be certain a song is just about a girl when he sings of love. With few exceptions, you can bet it's not about that. The song turned me back to itself. Following U2's rise, Joey Ramone and Bono had become friends. It's a good bet Bono didn't have to sneak into many more concerts. Years later, Joey Ramone was listening to one of U2's songs when he died in 2001. Knowledge of something like that leaves its mark, even on someone like Bono. Maybe the song had something to do with Joey Ramone's miracle, like Lazarus, the hope of knowing life after death rekindled by the song, sound, and melody. And then it hit me. As I remembered the peculiar suffering evoked from an enigmatic word of Isaiah 45, 
I remembered that God is not only a God who hides himself, but also one that makes himself known. And as I remembered these things, I found myself in the song. The pronoun was for me. The song is an Easter song. The invasion of grace describes me, arrested and undressed yet again by the staggering reality of God's love for one unworthy. I woke up at the moment when the miracle occurred, heard a song that made some sense out of the world. Everything I ever lost now has been returned in the most beautiful sound I'd ever heard. The last chorus changes ever so slightly just to make sure we don't miss its graciousness. I get so many things I don't deserve. If there's anything I don't deserve, it is Easter. My dead ears strangely, miraculously, hear only one sound, the sound of the song that wakes me as God hides himself from me no longer. I don't have to imagine what God is like anymore. The song has made some sense out of the world. God does who he is. He gives me so many things I don't deserve because he is grace. Not disembodied grace, but grace incarnate, grace made flesh in the visible expression of the invisible God. Awake, O sleeper, and arise. Awesome. Thanks, Kyle. Do you want to say anything about what uh, this was like for you writing this piece or anything? It, or was, any, any... it was a lot easier doing it at staff meeting than writing yeah. it. <laughs> like, at staff meeting, I just talk. You know, no notes or anything. And he's like, write that. And I was like, sure. And I was like, this is hard. You know. Then I sent it to Matt. And he's like, do it again. Half as long. And I was like, oh, great. You know, what did I get myself into? And by the way, that's one of the pieces, if you saw the musical instruments, those are uh, artwork from uh, some of the students here at the Advent uh, Episcopal Day School. Well, thanks, Gil, for being game, for reading, sure. and for writing. Thanks. Uh, Next, uh, the final person I'm going to ask to come up is Lauren Divert, who uh, wrote a piece on page 64, if you want to flip there, come on up. And, um, okay. um, who are you, Lauren? <laughs> Lauren, um, I'm Lauren Divert. I grew up in Mountain Brook. I grew up at Advent. Um, Gil knew me as a slightly angsty teenager. Um, and after college, I went to Nicaragua, um, which is in Central America. I taught there for two years um, and fell in love with this handsome, bald and bearded man right here, um, <laughs> Mike. Um, and despite telling my mom I was only going to be there two years, married and stayed there, and we've been running a vocational school for the last 13 years for Mike, 10 years for me, and Advent has been a big part of that. So um, I'm a child of God, I guess is the question, <laughs> answer the question, who, um, yeah, has just answered a call like all of us have answered a call. 
And so your piece is on uh, page 64, and I wanted to make sure we include something that's reflective of our <coughs> outreach and missions and ministries, and you were just wrapping up after how many years in Nicaragua? So 10 years for me, um, 13 for my husband. So this was the, the chance to get you while you're still <laughs> on the ground there to write something, and hopefully uh, this sums it all up. Okay. All right. Gifts returned. Dispatch from Nicaragua. I've been saying Nicaragua is a gifts culture ever since I was able to bargain for a hammock. Perhaps I heard it so many times from fellow missionaries that I started to believe it. Or maybe I thought it would make me sound as though I was beginning to grasp at cultural competency. Maybe it was the many trinkets I was given in my first year here when I couldn't speak a word of Spanish and people were trying in some way to show friendship. But the longer I've lived in Nicaragua, this year being my 10th, the more confused I have become about gifts both giving and receiving them. My husband, Mike, who has lived in Nicaragua for 13 years, spent his first Christmases here buying what he thought were necessities, bicycles and cell phones, for his Nicaraguan friends. They promptly and unapologetically sold them. <laughs> I have asked friends here what they wanted for birthdays and then happily wrapped up what they requested. Naturally, or maybe unnaturally to me, they sold these requested items, and when I came to visit them, in their homes, they never tried to hide, like a good southerner would, that there was in fact no shiny microwave on the counter. While we receive almost outlandish hospitality in this country, we rarely receive actual gifts, and we have seldom given a gift and heard the words, thank you. We accept this difference without condemnation, just as we accept that half of the things on a restaurant's menu are unavailable, that paying our house's electric bill will take around two to three hours, and that if you invite a friend to dinner at 6 p.m., they will show up at 8.30 p.m. and stay until midnight. <laughs> when it comes to ways of living that do not directly challenge God's word, we missionaries have to eat and drink the phrase, it's not wrong, it's just different. By trade, Mike is a blacksmith and a bladesmith. He has been teaching trades in Nicaragua's capital, Managua, for the last nine years. Apprentices spend anywhere from six months to six years with us at our school, and along the way, we teach each other what it looks like to live abundantly in Christ. Many have gone on to jobs, and some have become teachers of trades. Many have started to value their marriages and participate in the lives of their children. Many have learned to trust God again. And some have gone back to exactly what they did before, complaining about needing work while buying cell phones they can't afford. The context here is a complicated one. Few men have fathers who have been present in their lives, some because their fathers died in the war in the 80s, and some because their fathers left their children in search of an unfettered life. What's more, the legalistic church here seems to repel men. Work is hard to come by, and it's rarely seized with gusto when it's offered. There is an overall sense of feeling defeated before one even starts. Ramon Morales joined on as an apprentice about seven years ago. The son of a pastor, Ramon was a quiet man the kind you respect instantly because there is nothing flippant in his manner. He listened and he worked. He has a wife, son, and daughter and lives on his teacher's salary, $350 a month, which is a middle-class wage for Nicaragua. Last year, Ramon became the first Central American journey blades, journeyman bladesmith with the American Bladesmith Society after successfully passing a series of tests during a visit to the United States. It is quite a thrill to watch Mike and Ramon one bald, white, and strong, the other curly-headed, brown, and slight, dance together between the forge, grinder, and anvil. They value each other deeply. 
For the love of God's glory played out in art, they are brothers. When we leave Nicaragua after over a decade on the field, Ramon will carry the vision of vocational education and discipleship through in a way we could never envision. We know this because the evidence of God's work in Ramon rests easily and naturally in his countenance. Recently, I went to drop off supplies at the school. Ramon was putting tools away and called me over in his quiet, undemanding way. He opened a drawer in the knife cabinet and showed me a beautiful new chopper with a perfect Ramon, one of the best I've ever seen. He said, but a mic, a gift. The knife would be worth about three months' salary if Ramon were to sell it. He could sell it in an instant if he wanted to and finally build that bathroom for his house or put a floor in his daughter's room. But he wanted to thank Mike for seven years of friendship and artistry together to offer a real gift, which was a sacrifice to give. Mike received it with fullness, really with an overflowing of all that he has carried in striving for the young men of this country. To have been given something like that was God's grace and action when we don't need to be thanked for the time here and when we don't deserve the sacrifice of three months' salary, he gives it extravagantly. So maybe Nicaragua isn't, in fact, a gifts culture, but our God is certainly the giver of good and perfect gifts. Thank you. So this has been a few months. How's Ramon? Do you know? He's doing very well. Um, I think Deborah saw him about two months ago on a trip down there, and um, yeah, he's still making knives and teaching and loving the Lord and loving his family. Yeah. So what was this like putting this piece together? Was it helpful for summing things up, processing for you, or putting words it in your mouth? It was helpful, or? though. When I was practicing reading it today, I immediately cried, and honestly, the name Ramon makes me cry because I just am so changed by him. Um, I think we both are. So... Um, yeah, I think it still helps to process yeah. because he is um, such a friend that we did not deserve. But One yeah. thing I love about your and Mike's story is uh, in terms of mission work is a success, and that's where a lot of the emotion comes from is you've worked yourself out of a job, <laughs> right? I, I mean, handing this over, and that's really difficult to do, but that's the end goal. Yes, it's uh, always the goal. And right. uh, that's what happened. So I thank you so much for participating in this project. Thank you so much for your mission work. Yeah, and thank you. Welcome thank back you to Alabama. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Just a, a couple final thoughts um, that uh, you're welcome to, to stay for a while. Uh, again, Alabama Biscuit Company from Cahaba Heights brought biscuits, which are over... Uh, on the table under John Carpenter over there. Uh, thank you so much to Alabama Biscuit Company. Uh, and thanks again to the Oxymorons. They'll continue to play uh, once I step down from here. Um, and by the way, we printed a lot of copies. Uh, these are free. They're free today. They'll always be free until we change that. I hope we don't. Uh, but if there's someone you know that you think might be interested in reading this, take a, a couple extra copies. If you go to church here, we'll have plenty available uh, coming this Sunday, but you can take some today. Um, and we'll have them available in the weeks and months to come. It really is uh, uh, something that should help people understand what the Advent's about. Um, so getting it in their hands is really the goal. Uh, if you'd like to help defray the costs of this event, we've got... Uh, a tip jar over there, um, and a reminder to place a bid on Jill Marler's print. And also, there's art for sale 
Um, in addition to that, uh, print on auction, of course, from Jill, but also Emily Coe, who did uh, this original calligraphy on the inside cover. Uh, she's got some work uh, back there for sale. Uh, Jamie Harper, who did one of the pieces, you want to raise your hand. He's got some, uh, some work for sale. Uh, and also Chad uh, Moore, who has a couple uh, uh, pieces of artwork. He's got some mature artwork and some, as he says, immature artwork that appears both in this magazine. He's got this cross project that I think is so cool. These crosses that used to be on the Catholic uh, Church here uh, in downtown that he's just bringing around Birmingham and places and taking photos of them. Uh, and those are some of the crosses and one of the pieces. Uh, he's putting together a coffee table book, but he's got prints of those. And the thing I love about Chad, I, I, I met him uh, because uh, he takes toys also and places them around town and takes these really cool uh, photos of, uh, of toys around town. He's got some of those here. Uh, and also a reminder that we're a church. And if you're looking for a church, we have services on Sunday at 7.30, 9, 11, and also that's here uh, and then at 5 p.m. in the refectory uh, for now down the hallway. Um, and again, that this event is part of a larger series called the Arts and Culture Series. Um, there's a clipboard going around if you'd like more info about upcoming events. So put your name down. And our next event is uh, Friday, October 16th at 7 p.m. Uh, location still to be determined, but we're bringing a guy named John J. Thompson who just wrote a book called Jesus, Bread, and Chocolate. Uh, and he connects the artisanal food movement with the church. Uh, so we'll have some bread and chocolate, and we'll have John there, and he'll talk about his book. And he and I are talking about the possibility of the very next day, Saturday morning, putting together a ticketed workshop if you're interested and learning more about uh, brewing your own craft coffee and craft beer at home. Um, and so look out for details about that and our uh, publications, but also uh, put your name on the clipboard if you want to uh, receive more info. And thanks to all who helped put this event together, especially uh, Brandon, uh, who put out a lot of the tables and whatnot, our sextons, volunteers who helped to uh, hand out the books, and everybody else who uh, helped to make this happen, not only the event, but uh, the, the magazine. I should say a very special thank you to um, uh, Tom Martin, who's not here, who lives in Memphis, who is the art director, he, if you know the Ox, uh, Oxford American magazine, he's also the art director for that magazine. So we've got a really stellar person to put together this magazine. Thank you in absentia uh, to Tom. Again, thanks to Brandon, who was my assistant editor. Thank you to my lovely wife, Holly, who took a lot of the photos that appear in this magazine. Our copy editor, Mary uh, Berkeley Pritchard. Um, thank you so much. Uh, the fact that the, the copy is so clean, we have so uh, much to thank to her. Ivy Grimes, who uh, wrote one of the poems, who is my editorial assistant. And uh, Charlie Rich, our proofreader, where's Charlie? Thank you so much, Charlie, also for making sure that we have clean copy. And thank you all for coming. Please stick around, buy our work, bid on the piece back there, eat some. It's the South, we have wine and uh, biscuits. Um, so drink some wine, eat some biscuits. And thank you, Stephen, who's going to play some more music. And the Oxymorons have their debut CD for sale. Oh, thank you. They have CDs for sale, if you didn't hear that. <laughs>